All right, good morning, everybody. Pastor Paul here. It's a cold Tuesday morning here, January 18th, 2022, in the year of our Lord. Thought I was going to have to break out my um, my windshield wiper ice scraper uh, that I brought here 25 years ago from Tennessee. Thought I was going to have to bring that out of storage, but alas, we did make it down here to the home office. Glad that you were jumping on board for uh, these Four Oaks Pastoral Devotionals. So if you're new to these, basically what we do is we take 10 to 15 minutes every Monday through Friday, and we unpack a portion of the Book of Romans. And typically we we track with and follow with what we were preaching on uh, the previous Sunday. Um, there's so much in Romans, so rich, so deep, can't get to all of it. So we're going to use these times to explore various themes. And Sunday, Romans 5, we learned about these two spiritual uh, lineages, these two spiritual ancestral lines, the line of the first Adam, and then the line of the second Adam, which was Jesus. And the whole idea here is that it introduces to us um, this idea of the covenant or covenant theology. And that's kind of what we're exploring this week. And let's go back to the garden for a second in Genesis 1 through 3. We, we know there that God established with Adam a covenant of works. And what do we mean by covenant of works? It means that God told Adam, if you obey, if you walk with me, if you align your life with my life and my will for your life, then I give you life, right? I give you a place to, to flourish, to multiply, to grow, you and your descendants. But if you sin, if you touch the or eat from the tree of life um, in the garden, then you'll surely die and be banished and sin will enter in the world. And of course, that's what happened. Now, what we want to try to understand is from that point forward, how is it that God began to deal with his people? So again, um, if you live, if you obey, you live, if you disobey, you die, there's the failure. So obviously, it was shown that man could not fulfill the covenant of works, right? Could not fulfill it. And so what happens in Genesis 3.15 is that God inaugurates what we want to call the covenant of grace. And he promises Adam that through the line, through his line, God is going to raise up a redeemer, a seed, and that the, the seed is going to have his heel bruised. That means he's going to die. He's going to be wounded. But in the process, he's going to use this very death to crush the head of Satan. And this is through, and this is all going to be by the grace of God. And of course, we know that this is the second Adam. This is Jesus. Okay. Now, what can be a little confusing is that when we come to our Bibles, um, there's one section called the Old Testament and one section called the New Testament. And the the word testament is just the Latin term that means covenant. So old covenant, new covenant. And, and what we want to say here is that the old covenant and the new covenant are striving to do the same things, okay, but in different ways. So under the old covenant, okay, which is still part of a covenant of grace, God is pointing to and preparing the way for the people of God to receive Jesus. And he is, this is all still by grace, okay, um, but it is in preparation to the coming of Jesus. It is pointing to Jesus. It is fulfilled in Jesus. Then in Jeremiah 31, God promises a new covenant, and this new covenant, in fact, is Jesus himself, 
So when Jesus is the fulfillment of the old covenant, and now he has established a new covenant um, with his people through his own life and death and resurrection, all of it is by a covenant of grace, okay? All of it is by the sheer grace and initiative and sovereign will and power of God. But what we find under the old covenant, okay, so what we're saying is that it's it's one covenant of grace, okay, old and new, but there's different administrations of this covenant of grace before Christ than there are after Christ. So Christ fulfills the covenant. He is the new covenant. But in the old covenant, okay, um, there's a succession of covenants that God institutes with his people, Okay, they're still all by grace, but which point to and prepare the way for the coming of Christ. And when we think about this idea of covenant, it's a unifying theme of Scripture, and it gives us a way to think about how do we relate the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, or the Old Testament to the New Testament. It, it, it helps us to understand where is there continuity between the two, where is there difference, uh, discontinuity between the two. And one of the best ways I think we can we can really unpack this some more is by looking at the succession of covenants that God gives his people in the Old Testament. And so the very first covenant we see that God makes, in fact, is with Noah. Okay, this is after the fall of Adam. And let's look in Genesis 9 this morning, and I'm going to begin at verse 7. And I want you to think about the way this covenant prepares the way for the coming of Christ, Okay. Verse 7, chapter 9 of Genesis, And you shall be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I'll remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all the flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. So we know that Noah was a righteous man. God called him out and he was going to head up the new human race after God had destroyed the earth. But here we see God making a covenant with Noah. And he's not just making a covenant with Noah, he's also making, a, a, in a sense, a covenant with the whole earth, with everyone. He, he's telling Noah, I'm never again going to destroy the earth by water. In fact, I'm going to give the earth to you and your descendants, Noah, to, to farm, to work, to enjoy, to toil, to multiply, to increase. And I'm going to do this without the threat of a cataclysmic event that will wipe out the whole face of the earth. And so one of the reasons, so, so we can see the Noahic covenant in effect today, right? That fact that God does not obliterate all of us or all of mankind, the fact that he 
that the rain falls on the just and the unjust, that, that not just Christians, but both Christians and non-Christians can marry, have children, have families, can enjoy this life, can recreate and worship, and all, all of those things that we do, all are a direct outflowing of the Noahic covenant, okay? And, and this is a covenant that God is making with the whole earth. Now, we have to ask, why, what does this have to do with Jesus, okay? How does this point us to Jesus, or how does this prepare us for Jesus? Well, here's a good way to think about it. God promises not to destroy the world again, okay, until the, until the last days, the coming of Jesus. God promises not to destroy the world again in order to save the world, okay? So, so think about this up to this point. Um, as man goes about being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth, we know very quickly from Genesis 11 that, that once again, man shows himself to be evil. Every inclination of his heart is to do evil. He, the Tower of Babel, um, he sets up his authority against God. And at any point in time in here in human history, God could just come and justly wipe everyone out, right? Because the wages of sin is death. We're all descendants of Adam. God could come and by his own divine prerogative and will, he could wipe us out now. Why doesn't he? Well, there, there's a lot of answers to that question, but one answer seems to be fundamentally that if God were to have wiped everyone out prior to Christ, then everyone is lost. Everyone is completely lost. Even those of his people whom he is, whom he is in the process of saving by grace. And the reason we know this is that in Romans 3, it tells us that one of the reasons Jesus came was to die for the sins of the people that had been formerly left unpunished. So remember, under the old covenant, um, it was it was mosaic sacrifices and Levitical offerings, and these weren't permanently taking away sin. They were just being applied um, sort of proactively um, to people and their sins based upon the coming of the Messiah and Christ. And that's why when Jesus died, his blood, his death, his sacrifice was applied retroactively to all the sins of all the people who had placed their faith in God. So if God had wiped out the whole earth at some point in time before Christ came, all would have been lost. By the same token, if Christ, why, why does Christ tarry now? Okay, why does Christ wait to come back? Why, why does God not bring judgment now? Well, because the full allotment of the heritage of the nations has not been brought in right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20 has not been completed. Not every person of every tongue, tribe, and nation has heard the opportunity to hear the gospel or respond to the gospel or, or be a part of God's plan and God's people. And so this means that God waits and waits so that grace abounds more and more. We find this in, again, didn't we, in Romans 5, and it awaits the influx of the great um, the great wave, the tidal wave of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation that will one day place their faith in Christ. Understand all of this is possible, and it, the framework is set for it because of what we see here in Genesis 9, the Noahic covenant. And again, this is all by the sheer grace of God. And so as we're going about our day, um, just pause, 
frequently, periodically to give thanks and to say with Paul, we know that in God we live, move, and have our being. We thank him for our breath. We thank him for our lives. We thank him for what he's provided. We know there is much toil and sin and suffering and death to walk through. We've seen that in 2021, haven't we? But the Noahic covenant gives us confidence that God's persevering grace, sustaining purposes will continue on and on and on faithfully until the time Christ comes back. And the people of God um, can look back to the Noahic covenant and have confidence that God is accomplishing his purposes on earth. Now, tomorrow, what we want to do is, in the next few days, is look at the next succession of covenants that God gives his people. Because after the Noahic covenant, there's the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the Davidic covenant. So we're going to look at those and then end the week by talking about, of course, the new covenant. So that's our lesson for today. So glad that you've joined us. We hope that you are back with us tomorrow. Uh, same time, same station. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask now that you would open our eyes to the magnificence of your grace that if you have poured out over all the earth and all the creatures of the earth, and that we would live with a posture of awe and worship so that others might come to know you and see you through our lives. And so, Lord, we thank you that this is all by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See you, everybody, tomorrow.